morning, everyone. Happy Sabbath. It's good to see all of you here. We have a very interesting study in store for us today. So we're going to get started. Just a couple of reminders. We do have a microphone for the audience. If you read one of the passages of Scripture or if you have a question. So we'll have someone in the back with a microphone. And just raise your hand so we can get it onto the recording. And this time let's go ahead and bow our heads for a word of prayer and we'll get started. Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful Sabbath morning. We thank you for the opportunity to study under your word. Study Revelation chapter 17. Give us more insight into the end time message you've given us in people. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Alright, so we are now beginning Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17 is a very fascinating chapter and sometimes has some variable interpretations. However, I'm going to say at the outset that if we stick to the historicist hermeneutic, it's not that difficult to figure out what Revelation 17 is all about. Um, the problem with Revelation 17 is when people start to use new methods of biblical interpretation to try to understand the seven heads and the seven mountains and this, that, and the other thing. Um, but if we stick to the consistent principles that we've used for the first 16 chapters, then the 17th chapter falls right into place, just like the first 16 chapters. So chapter 17, in many ways, doesn't really show anything particularly new, except that it shows a different different angle of the same powers that we've been studying about. Um, but there's, um, again, if we follow the, the, the methods of the historicist hermeneutic, we will be okay. So having said that, we're going to get into chapter 17, and I'd like a volunteer to read verses 1 and 2, Revelation chapter 17, verses 1 and 2. Right down here. Revelation chapter 17. And then and there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. And the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Okay. So, first two verses. What, the first thing that we notice is that the first subject or the first person or being identified is one of the seven angels who had had one of the seven vials. Now, what is this with respect to, or what's the relationship between the seven angels with the seven vials? It's the seven last plagues. 
So there's a relationship between the seven last plagues and what we're going to see in Revelation chapter 17. So that's the very first thing we see. Seven last plagues, we see that God pours out his judgments upon the power that shed the blood of the saints and the prophets. We see that again here in chapter 17. So now we see one of the angels with one of the seven vials, who had one of the seven vials saying, come hither, or if you look at the word hither, um, another way of saying it is come here with an exclamation point. So the angel wants John to pay close attention to what he's going to see next. And what is it that this angel is going to show to John? It's, it's the judgment of the great whore. So the title of our study today is The Judgment of the Great Whore. And this is biblical language. So what this tells us then, or well, let me phrase it this way. What does this tell us then about the seven last plagues with respect to Revelation 17. So what this tells us is that the judgment of the great whore, we see that in the seven last plagues. And chapter 17 is now going to show us in more detail why the great whore was judged why she received the seven last plagues. Does that make sense? So that's the connection between Revelation 16 and Revelation 17. So this angel is going to show unto John the judgment of the great whore, and then the, the last phrase here, notice this, that sitteth upon many waters. Now, let's talk a little bit so we have a great war that sits upon many waters. So obviously a war represents a corrupt woman. And a woman in the Bible represents the church. We have the pure woman in Revelation 12. We have the corrupt woman in Revelation 17. And notice the characteristics right off the bat here. So this great whore is sitting upon many waters. Now, first of all, what does waters represent in the Bible? Later in the same chapter, in verse 15, we have the answer where it says, The waters which thou sawest where the whore sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So, peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Is this a small geographic area, or is this a very large area? So, this is describing many nations, multitudes, tongues, peoples. So, this corrupt church is sitting upon basically the whole world. And it, now, one other thing. What does it mean to, to sit? And um, in Revelation chapter 18, verse 7, 
the same power is described in the end of verse 7 where it says, I sit a queen and am no widow, widow and shall see no sorrow. So this great Lord sits as a queen upon the whole world, multitudes, nations, tongues, kings, and so forth. And so what we have here, we have a false church, a corrupt church, who sits with political authority over the whole world. And because of that, God judges this power. So that's just setting up Revelation chapter 17. So this great whore that sits upon many waters, if you think about it this way, a queen who sits, sits on her throne. So she's sitting on her throne as a queen with political power over the whole world. And the way God describes this queen is as a great whore. And because of that, she is being judged. And notice then in verse 2, it says, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. Now, where have we seen the kings of the earth with relative proximity to Revelation chapter 17, verse 2? We saw that in Revelation 16. If you remember, in the sixth plague, when the sixth angel pours out the sixth vial, we have the three unclean spirits, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. They're the spirits of devils, and it says they go forth under the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. So here we see in Revelation 16 that the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet will be identified as, in our last study as apostate Protestantism, um, spiritualism, and papacy. They go forth to gather the kings of the earth. And in Revelation chapter 17, we see what happened when the kings of the earth were gathered by this threefold union. They were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So the kings of the earth, what happens when this great war gathers them together? They are made drunk. They are intoxicated. Now, how clearly do you think when you are intoxicated? You don't think clearly. You do things that you probably wouldn't otherwise do if you were thinking in your right mind. Um, another way to look at it is your frontal lobe is bypassed. You become disinhibited, the, especially the left frontal lobe. And um, Anyway, I'll stop talking about neurology, but the point is, what is the wine that intoxicates the kings of the earth? Now think about it this way. The kings of the earth are a political entity. And they are being intoxicated by something that doesn't make them think clearly, which causes them to come under judgment by God. Now, when you remember that Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, and there's a clear biblical teaching of the separation of church and state, do you think that God would 
ex be exclusively judging the kings of the earth for political mistakes only, or do you think it's more than that? What, what's the wine that is causing them to come under judgment? We have a comment right there in the back, right there. The Bible describes this drunken condition first as fornication. Fornication in the Bible is an unlawful relationship. Right. It's the joining of two people or two entities that are not to be joined together. Right. In the light of this, we have the kings, which are a civil power, yeah. and we have this false church, which is a religious power. Right. And under the union of these two entities, yeah. we have what they call fornication okay. or a drunken condition of the world. Right. Very good. And, you know, one of the first places, maybe not the first place, but one of the first places that comes to mind as a false union is Ahab and Jezebel. And that shows what happens when there's a false union between church and state. And they, they have the three and a half years of no rain. You could say that's a type of the 1260 years, which is three and a half prophetic years. But anyway, so we see the kings of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. And wine, we talked about this earlier in our study, wine represents um, false doctrine. So the false doctrine of the great whore causes the kings of the earth, the political leaders, to lose their common sense for the the wall of separation between church and state. And so the kings of the earth say, hey, we all agree on Sunday. Hey, you know, the dead go to heaven. Hey, this, this makes sense. And that common understanding causes them to be intoxicated to the point that they will do whatever the papacy says because they believe they are following God on earth. And so they are intoxicated. They make unwise choices. Um, and what ends up happening is a union of church and state. Now, we're going to see this union of church and state as we go through the rest of Revelation chapter 17. And this is very fascinating. Now, I want to have a volunteer read verses 3 through 5. Revelation chapter 17 verses 3 through 5. Um, over here. Revelation chapter 17, verses 3 through 5. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names and blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her head was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Okay, thank you. So, remember that... Really, the title of Revelation chapter 17 is The Judgment of the Great Whore. We see that as we get into it, it's caused the kings of the earth to commit fornication with her. Uh, and now, we're going to see a little bit more. So, okay, so the great whore is being judged because 
she caused um, the kings of the earth to commit fornication for her? Is there anything else? Why else is the great whore being judged? So now we look at verses 3, 4, and 5. And notice verse 3. Be, initially, John is, is being told, okay, this is what you're going to see. You're going to see the judgment. This is what the, the whore has done. And then verse 3, John is carried away in the spirit. Or another way of looking at, at it is he is taken off into vision. So now he's going to see in vision more of a description of this great whore and why she is being judged. Does that make sense? So now, verse 3. He carried me away in the spirit. Notice where he's carried into. Into the wilderness. Now, let me ask you this. Where else have we seen the wilderness in the book of Revelation? Revelation chapter 12. And what is the wilderness related to in Revelation chapter 12? I, I guess, sorry? Okay, yes. That's the time when God's pure church escaped into the wilderness and Revelation 12 tells us for how long? A time, times, and half a time. 1260 years. Now, is there something significant about the 1260 years with respect to the judgment of the great whore? We have a comment right there. Right in front of you. When John is taken into the wilderness in this scene, he eventually comes to the close of this wilderness experience. Yeah. And he comes to the deadly wound of the papacy in 1798. Okay, you're jumping ahead of me, but that's okay. Um, we're going to get there. So walking through step by step, so we have the... He's carried into the wilderness. We remember that's the 1260 years where God's church fled. We also remember that God's church was persecuted by a persecuting power for 1,260 years. And notice this. We see, in verse 3, we see, I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Now, I'm going to go backwards here. Where have we seen a beast having seven heads and ten horns, having names full of blasphemy. That's Revelation 13. I mean, you just turn right back. Revelation 13, 1, you see a beast rise up out of the sea. Notice we have this whore sitting upon the sea, or upon many waters. Here's a, a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads, ten horns, and the name of blasphemy. So we have the same beast in Revelation chapter 13 and Revelation chapter 17. And as Duane was telling us, this beast in Revelation chapter 13 received a deadly wound at the end of the wilderness experience for God's people at the end of the 1260 years. So then the question is, can we make a connection between the judgment of the great whore and the 1260 years. 
And of course we can. The 1260 years is the period of time in Earth's history when the papal power reigns for the longest period of time. Now, we, when we get to later in the chapter, we're going to see that it has a resurrection experience, but it's not going to reign for 1,260 years again. But we see the true characteristics of this power, the beast with seven heads and ten horns during the 1,260 years. And so John is being reminded of the wilderness experience as part of the reason for why this great whore is being judged. Now here's another interesting facet. It says, I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet colored beast. Now again, what does a woman represent in Bible prophecy? It represents a church. What does a beast represent in Bible prophecy? A beast represents a kingdom. So then, the question is, have we seen a woman already described as sitting in this chapter? And yes, we have. It's described as the great whore. Now, now we have this beast being introduced, and it reminds us of the beast in Revelation 13. And then we say, well, yeah, the beast in Revelation 13, that's the beast that got the seven heads and ten horns that had the deadly wound. Well, that's papal Rome, so how can we have a woman sitting on a beast, and the beast represents papal Rome, and the woman represents papal Rome? Does that make any sense? Well, sure it does. Here's how. The woman represents the religious aspect of this power. The beast represents the political aspect of this power. And here's the catch. Notice who's sitting on who here. The woman is sitting on the beast. So that means the woman is in control of the beast. Or in other words, the church is in control of the state. And we have a hand up down here. So again, woman sitting on a scarlet colored beast church sitting on state yes i looked up the word beast uh-huh and it says it's a dangerous animal so it's not like a deer it's something that's very deadly yeah very good so a beast represents a kingdom and of course when you think of a beast it's not a an animal you'd want to get near another comment back over here in uh, chapter 13 uh, verse 2 it says that the dragon gave it this yep. beast its power and its seed and great authority. So we see here a focus of where basically this power comes from, from the devil himself. Right. See. Good point. So again, this beast with seven heads and ten horns in Revelation 13, we see that the dragon gave him his power, his seat, and authority. And that includes the woman, not just the beast. So here we have Revelation 17, the, the woman and the beast. Okay, one more comment. We need to move on here. In the next verse, John goes on to say, and the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet. Were you, yeah. were you going to cover that? Yeah, we're, we haven't gotten there yet. Okay. We're going to get there. So you're a step ahead of me today, Joanne. That's good. Then. Um, all right, so one other thing in verse 3. We see that this beast has the names of blasphemy. When you study the New Testament, remember 
the priests thought Jesus committed blasphemy when he claimed to be God. They also thought he committed blasphemy when he said he had power to forgive sins. Papal Rome, they say they can forgive sins and they claim to be God on earth. Blasphemy. So, verse 4. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Okay. Notice the clothing. The colors, we have purple, scarlet, decked with gold, precious stones, and pearls. Is there a place in scripture where we see someone who has very similar clothing, but maybe has another color that's missing here in Revelation 17? Yeah, it's the high priest. And this is found, let me find it here, in Exodus chapter 39. Exodus chapter 39 and verse 1. And if I could have a volunteer to read Exodus 39, verse 1. Right down here. Exodus 39, verse 1. Exodus, Exodus 39, verse 1 says, And of the blue and purple and scarlet, they made cloths of service to do service in the holy place and made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord commanded Moses. Okay, thank you. And as you go on in verse 2, you can see there's also gold and so forth. So the high priest Aaron was clothed in garments that are described as the very same colors as this woman in Revelation chapter 17, but there's one color that's missing in this woman in Revelation chapter 17. What color is that? It's the color blue. Now, what does the color blue represent? And I'll, I'll give you the verse. You can write it down and look it up later. But it's found in Numbers 15, verses 38 to 40. The color blue is associated with the law of God or obedience or keeping God's commandments. So what you have here then is you have a woman professing to be the church of God on earth. But she's lacking the law of God. And if we remember the little horn of Daniel chapter 7, he, he shall think to change times and laws. And so here we see, even in the description of the colors of um, this woman, she's lacking the law of God. One other thing, it gives you the suggestion that this woman is trying to do the work of Christ that she has not been authorized to do. And that's the work of intercession. The work of the priest. Intercession. Forgiveness of sins. We have a, a hand down here. Also, the high priest was wearing a white linen robe that had those colors. And that's the righteousness of Jesus. There you go. So there, that is also missing. Very good. Very good. So, and again, the, the high priest has a white linen, which we see missing here. And in, you also look at the woman of Revelation 12. She's clothed in a white garment, so she does have the righteousness of Christ. And um, she has a much more simple appearance than the woman of Revelation 17. And we have a comment in the back there. If you can speak up so everyone can hear you. It was actually just more of a question if you were going to go to Numbers chapter 15 and see the reason why God gave them that, uh, that new commandment to, to wear the blue. Okay, so 
we can go there. Numbers 15, yeah, and 38 to 40. Um, so, um, well, the, the point is, if we uh, <clears throat> if you go up to verse 32 and uh -huh. see the the reason why God gave him that commandment to wear the blue. Uh -huh. It was somebody was gathering sticks on the Sabbath. Okay. So he, it was particularly the Sabbath that the man was breaking, and God wanted to remind them not to break his Ten Commandments. So there's even an emphasis on the Sabbath there. That's a great point. So for those of you who could not hear the comment, thank you very much for that comment. The reason why we see in Numbers 15.32, someone was breaking the, the Sabbath by gathering sticks... And so after that, God reminds them of his loss specifically so that they will remember to keep his Sabbath day holy. And that's especially the commandment that this woman in Revelation 17 has forgotten. And it's interesting in verse 39, it says that if you, um, you know, remember the commandments, do them, that you seek not after your own heart or your own eyes, after which you used to go a-whoring. So there you see the word whoredom or whoring, similar to the great whore of Revelation 17. So if we are not obe obedient to God's law, if we don't keep his Sabbath, inevitably we are going to end up following the great whore. Now there's more we could talk about in verse 4, but I want to move um, ahead. And by the way, you can look, look up Jeremiah 51 around verse 7, where it talks about the golden cup in the hand of Babylon and how Babylon was fallen and so forth. So that's the Old Testament source, chapter 51. And then in verse 5, as we've read, we see upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and abominations of the earth. So it's interesting, upon this woman, it's on her forehead that her name is written. And if you recall... The contrast to God's people, they have the seal of God written in their foreheads, which is related, which is the Sabbath. And here you have a seal or a name in the forehead of Babylon that says, Mystery Babylon the Great. Now remember, you have the mystery of God in Revelation 10, and that's Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery of Babylon is the mystery of iniquity or sin or lawlessness or not having Christ in our hearts. So we have mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. Now, we've already seen that the woman who is the great whore who sits on the beast, the woman being referred to is the religious aspect of papal Rome. The beast is the political aspect of papal Rome. And so when we see here, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, so another term to describe this woman is mother. And she has daughters who are called harlots. So not only is there the mother church, there's also the little harlots that follow the mother. And as we go on later in Revelation 17 and as we go back to Revelation 16 and 13 helps us to understand who these harlots are. Revelation 13 you had the second beast which causes all the world to worship the first beast. There's, there's the religious component. Revelation 16 you have the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet 
dragon being spiritualism, the beast being papal Rome, false prophet being the religious element of the second beast of Revelation 13. How do I know that? Because Revelation 19 tells us, and we've already studied this, Revelation 19 shows us that it's the false prophet that works in concert with the first beast, and we know that that's the second beast. So anyway, Protestant America is the second beast, which is the same as the false prophet, which is the same as the harlots of Revelation 17. This constitutes Babylon. So, we have a message called the three angels' messages to call people out of Babylon. And our job is not to get along with Babylon. That would be the worst form of enmity against God's people in the churches of Babylon. He's called us to call his people out, and that's the loving thing to do because these messages are messages of mercy. They're not hateful messages. They're messages of mercy. It's the most loving thing we can possibly do to the people who are in the mother church or the harlot churches. And that's the message God has given us. So instead of joining up with them, we can, of course, be loving to them and share them the messages of mercy that God has given to us as a people. We have a hand up over here, and then we're going to move on to verse 6. I don't know how many saw, but uh, right after the Pope's visit here to America, uh, George W. Bush, our president, was interviewed, and uh, the question was asked him, what do you see when you look into the eyes of the Pope? And he said, I see, the, I see God, he said. Yeah. And very significant. You know, here we have church and state. We have someone who's the president of our country who sees God in the eyes of the Pope. Right. And he went on to say later that uh, God told him to attack Iraq. Okay. So and we, we did talk about, you know, the, the president's comment about what he saw when he looked into the Pope earlier in this class. And, again, that is a significant comment. And, of course, as you pay attention to the world around us, you know, one of the things that I've noticed even is that um, when one of the, the I'm not going to get into politics, you know, you can have your own political views here. Um, there is a separation of church and state, by the way. But one of the presidential candidates, one of the two, was endorsed by an evangelical minister who was found out later to have identified papal Rome as the great whore of revelation. Not only were the Republicans and Evangelicals offended, but the liberal agnostic Democrats were offended and called it hate speech. So not only are the Republicans in the hand of the, the Christian coalition, so to speak, and following you know, towards this you know, apostate Protestant union and all that, but even the atheistic liberal Democrats who profess separation of church and state, they were angered by this comment. And... Um, that happened to be an evangelical minister who studied his Bible well enough to identify the correct power. So that shows you what's going to happen when we start to, when the message of Revelation 18 goes out and lightens, lightens the earth with God's glory. The message that lightens the earth with God's glory is that Babylon is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils and so forth. And that's obviously not going to be very popular. But again, it's a message of mercy. And again, and by the way, um, 
I would say this. We don't want to go around and, and say um, things like, oh, you're a Catholic? How stupid could you be to be a Catholic? You know, things like that. that because that's not going to win souls to the kingdom. And that's not what we're um, advocating here. Um, again, it's a message of mercy, a message of love to call people out. Um, one more comment back there, and then we'll need to move on to the next verse. You know, Norman, I think that's a great point that you brought up and how not to view Speak people. Speak up, I can't hear you. I just think that's a great point that you just brought up, that it's a message of mercy and not to yeah. view people like that. Because in Revelation 18, God says, come out of her, my people. Right. 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 These are still God's people that are in Babylon. They're in confusion, and most of them have been deceived. That's why God is calling them out. So they're still his people. Very good. So, again, we're called to call God's people out of Babylon, and that's, we can see that in Revelation 18. Now, I'd like to get to, well, we're not going to get to the, the real fun stuff today, but I will. Um, we'll get there next time. Um, you don't want to miss the study on the seven heads. Um, so, um, verse 6, I'll just um, hit this. Verse 6, I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. Now, this word admiration does not mean a positive admiration. It means astonishment, horror, unbelief, or disbelief. Um, why does John have a hard time believing what he's saying? Well, here you have a woman who is supposed to be God's church on earth, drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And... Um, the last time we saw, you know, the martyrs with the, their blood crying out, How long, O Lord, till you judge and avenge our blood? That was Revelation 6 under the fifth seal. And here we see now that this great whore is being judged for the blood of the martyrs, which happened. We saw that in the first four seals especially. But it happened over the longest period of time during the 1260 years. So this woman being drunk with the blood of the saints, one of the key times that that happens is during the 1260 years. That's during the wilderness experience. That's why the wilderness is mentioned earlier here in, earlier here in Revelation 17. Um, and you can see that experience also in verse, Daniel chapter 11, verses 31 to 40, essentially. There's um, the, the papal persecution in Daniel 11 as the king of the north. And we are told that the history of Daniel 11 in those verses will be repeated. So what that tells us is that papal Rome will have a time when it persecutes the saints again. Um, so it will be drunken with the blood of the saints and the martyrs, not only from the 1260 years, but from a short period of time down at the end of the world. And um, that's one other thing to point out. Now in verse 7... It says, the angel said unto me, wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. So now the angel is going to explain to John the mystery of the woman and the beast. And as a side point, in 1 John 3, 13, it says, marvel not if the world hate you. Um, and so... You can study that out a little bit more. But what happens in verse 8, starting in verse 8, 
is the beginning of the explanation of who the beast is and who the woman is. And we have the mystery of the woman, the mystery of the beast that carried her, which hath seven heads and ten horns. And the first description is of the beast. And um, we're going to have to pick that up next time. But that's where things really get interesting. And so, unfortunately, well, we, we had a good study today, but um, next week is, you don't want to miss next week's study. We're going to get into the beast that was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. And you have the seven heads, five are fallen, one is, and, and one is to come, and the eighth, which is of the seven, and all of that. And I'll give you a little preview. Um, and for those of you who are listening on Audioverse as well, um, please don't tell me that the seven heads are seven popes. Because if you say that, you are going against every principle of prophetic historicist hermeneutics that is in Revelation 1 through 16. That would be a new, unique understanding that is non-existent. So anyway, we will get into that next week, and you will see clearly who the seven heads are. So we'll look forward to that. Before...